Okay. We have a sufficient quorum, I guess. Let's thank God. Dear Lord God, we're grateful for your word. We're asking you to lean on our hearts like Glenn was praying earlier. Open us to your word. In your son's name, amen. Well, we actually cover two books of the Bible today in their entirety. This is one of those moments in your Bible reading you get to say, I read a couple of books. I'm that devout. Second John and Third John. I was looking at Second John earlier this morning and, and going up good stuff in it and I wanted to build something out of it, but then I realized there was such a kind of a bookend quality to Third John being included, it sort of reversed the problem. And uh, uh, so I thought it would be nice to have them go together. And they, they echo John, the apostle, is so good about re- you know, picking up his themes from if you've read 1 John or the Gospel of John or the Revelation of John, you're getting a person who is almost throwing a consistency of terminology at you. So it's very helpful. We don't know if this is a... A device to keep the Romans off their trail speaking of a church as if it was a particular woman it says the elder to the elect lady and her children does that mean a certain church in a certain place and the members of that church or is it a really a personal friend um, and uh, there are different theories in, in, in scriptural studies on that the second letter, the third, third John, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Um, obviously personal. Um, so do what you want with that. It's not important to our, our considerations this morning. But what is what it says in the second half of that verse? Whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. Because the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. So it seems like he's dangling some dark truth in front of you that is pretty amazing. I love these people in it. So would everybody else who was in it. And it's because of what's in it. Because of the truth. And it's a, the, the relationship because of the truth is that of love. Love is being promoted. We were talking Wednesday night at uh, Pipe Night. We're reading through The Greater Trumps by Charles Williams. And and the Christian in the story is so remarkable for being an, uh, you want to say, an item of love. The power of a woman named Sybil. And uh, we talked a long time about wanting to be the kind of Christians that functioned in the world that way. We weren't going to be given adventures necessarily of the occult, but we were certainly having the adventure of, of uh, just the Christian life, just the power that was available, the calm, the tranquility. Um, so there's a, uh, there's a reason for my thinking along 2nd and 3rd John because of this love. She recommends to a 
non-believing young lady that she try out love. She wasn't considering it enough. Did she give it a try and see what happens? So John loves this elect lady and her children in the truth. He's shared in that love by others who know the truth. And that love is because of the truth. Grace, mercy, and peace be with us, will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. One thing you're going to find is you're, you, better, you better start jotting down John's insistence or tie-ins right inside the passage. He's making you read back to yourself what you just heard. I love this woman and her children by the love that's in the truth, it is common to those who are in that truth that they would love so. And it's going to be because of the truth. And then, it, in case that's too vague for you, it then says grace, mercy, and peace. Essentially, your salvation. Will be with us in this state, this relationship. I'm writing a letter to this woman on the basis of our Christian Love, based in our Christianity, it's a permanent thing. It's what our Christianity is all about. And it's going to be with us because of truth and love. In that truth and love that had made him love the elect lady and her children, our grace, mercy, and peace. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children following the truth, just as we have been commanded by the Father. Now when it says following the truth, do not take your particular theological persuasion, as right as it probably is, and insert it in there as the truth. Because you know that he has already told you that I love in the truth. All of us that are in the truth love this way. It's because of this truth that we love. And that truth and love is the ground of our grace, mercy, and peace. So when he says, following the truth, it's not this casual uh, euphemism for being a churchy person or being in the Christian camp. Following the truth, we were commanded to do by the Father. And it's a great encouragement to John a cause for great rejoicing to have spotted this. I think that's what was so satisfying about our last couple of weeks at the reading is how heavy the character of this woman in this book sits on all the believers there. You just shake your head going, I'm not this person. I need to be this person. What a cause for rejoicing this is to see that truth being followed. Because sometimes when we read John, you're reading through the Gospel of or First John, he's saying things that you think, well, that's way out of my pay grade. I'm not that kind of Christian. I'm just sort of a Walmart Christian. I, you know, a more cheaply made, cheaply sold Christianity. Um, years ago, I bought a hammer. I don't think it was Walmart. I think it was Kmart. Before we lived in the house, we had a little bungalow down the street on Polk, and I was working in the basement on something with my purchased hammer 
from Kmart. And, uh, and because I'm Evan and I don't put things neatly on a tool bench or a tool chest or anything like that, I throw it on the floor when I, I want to rest. Just throw the hammer on the floor. Well, I thought it was a hammer. I thought this was concrete. What's the problem? Not gonna... Well, the, ha the hammer shattered. Falling on the floor, the head of the hammer just like glass. Well, that's the kind of Christianity a lot of people think is okay for them to have. It's not going to be this sort of thing where love is really being a, a binding people together because of a truth. It's a command from the Father. It's a cause for great rejoicing. So much of the church today, you don't. You're not that you're denying they're Christians. You're not going to go, they're not going to heaven. My mother used to say, of babies, it has a face only a mother could love. And she'd have to be fond of children. Sometimes you have that view of the saints. You're giving them a lot of leeway. You're giving them a lot of, uh, uh, yeah, you, you believe in Jesus, and that's great, and I see you once in a while at church. Who knows what's your life, how, how much you are made into this person of love that is expected by the scripture. We're not saying they're not saved. But there is a point of rejoicing you get to when you meet the believers who are being changed by the truth of love that is available in Christ. Now I beg you, lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we had from the beginning, that we love one another. It's the, you get this straight out of 1 John. The commandment we had from the beginning, that we love one another. John wants to come back to it. That's what is sort of central for John. And this is love, verse 6, that we follow his commandments. This is the commandment, as you heard from the beginning, that you follow love. Sound of one hand clapping much? You know, you get that, oh, if I love, I follow the commandments. The commandments are what again? That I follow love. This is what you were told to do. You've got to get at this. The Christian circular reasoning at the very beginning of the changed life is your imperative, your, your, your your giving yourself to the imperative of God is giving yourself to love, and love is giving yourself to the imperative. You are shaping yourself as God wants you to be. You are looking at your fellow believers. You're looking at the non-believers in front of you. Primarily, he does make a distinction. We, like Christ, love everyone in the world, but you love the saints more. You do have more. It's a new commandment that we love the brethren. A new relationship. And if you forget this, um, because I had long hair at one point, and I don't want anybody to suspect me of being a co-op shopping hippie. Because I'm not. Never, I wasn't even then. I was, I was a very strong conservative politically. I just had long hair. And so when I start preaching about truth and love, I don't want you hippies 
to get all, I'm putting a daisy in the barrel of your gun. That kind of, uh, we're not looking for that kind of Christianity. This is not that, this is not cheap, this is not Kmart love. This is not Kmart truth. Because look at what happens immediately on the heels of this. Man, I love you guys. Man, I really love you guys. In the truth of Jesus Christ, I really love you guys. And you should love one another. Lady, I'm begging you, let's love some more. What could be better? And you feel like you're going to an Episcopal church. You can walk out and go, as long as we love each other. 4, verse 7. He's saying this for a reason. He's saying, we've got to, the love that I'm encouraging us to have grounds us in an imperative of Christ, grounds us in a truth that I'm telling you it again, not because we don't have that relationship, but because deceivers, many of them, have gone out into the world. Men who will not acknowledge the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Because this isn't floating love, you know, uh, everybody putting a coexist bumper sticker on their car. This is love based on the truth of one of those, only one of those, being right. Jesus Christ, come in the flesh. Because I'm, he says, I'm warning you about this, and this truth produces love, and the love produces the faithfulness to God. Because there are false teachers out there who don't acknowledge the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Now, many people think, who do scholarly doctoral dissertations on John, that John had a, a very dramatic in the Asia Minor area a conflict with a a proto, it's bad enough that you have to start talking in terms like proto, proto-Gnostic, named Serinthus. And the Gnosticism was coming up in the first century. It doesn't really hit stride until the second. But so they're, they're seeing quantities in both Paul and John of a resistance to the ideas that deceivers were coming that suggested Jesus Christ had not come in the flesh. That was their whole point that the things that were holy could not be flesh. Flesh was evil. So if it was come from God, it had to be somehow spirit. But the idea is, one of the reason they were pushing Jesus Christ come in the flesh, whether it's in Colossians or 2 John, is that, is that there was a particular thing they were standing against. But that relationship... That it happened, not that, well, why does it matter so much that Jesus Christ came in the flesh? Because it seems like it, it, you're either going to view this as just doctrine for doctrine's sake. The deity of Jesus Christ, the incarnation, you've heard the word, right? You hear the word trinity. Sometimes you go, okay, what are the big, big Christian doctrines? The deity of Jesus Christ is one of the big doctrines. The incarnation is a big doctrine. Is that why we hold it? Because we're a church and that kind of orthodoxy should matter. Because not a, 
to get you off the hippie response train, um, it says, men who will not acknowledge the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Oh, the scary word, antichrist. Look to yourselves that you may not lose what you've worked for, but may win a full reward. Anyone who does, goes ahead and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine has both the Father and the Son. So he's drawing a pretty clear line. He said, love, truth and love. And I want you to know this because there are people who aren't saying the truth part. And you need to say to yourself, they don't have God. They don't have the Father and the Son because they're denying the truth of Jesus Christ come in the flesh. Anyone who comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into the house or give him any greeting. This is the kind of thing, it's not coexist. You don't even say hi to these people. You don't welcome them as a Christian minister if they deny Jesus Christ come in the flesh. I don't care if he's an Episcopal vicar. If he's denied Jesus Christ being the Son of God come in the flesh, you don't even welcome him into your home because for he who greets him shares his wicked work. Boy, suddenly became very not hippie at that point. Not getting along. Now, is it just because everybody likes to be doctrinaire, everyone likes to be dogmatic about something, and we just picked, we just picked the deity of Jesus Christ, the incarnation? Is there something more in this that the reason I'm getting so defensive is not that it's about Jesus? What is it about Jesus? Look at 1 John Chapter 4, it's on the left-hand side. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and he who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Sounds the hippie part real strong here. Verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. This is how we saw it that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. The incarnation, denying that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, takes the love of God and says, nope, didn't happen. Because that's what it is. And this, the love of God, was made manifest to us that God sent his son into the world. Verse 10, in this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the expiation for our sins. So the incarnation and the atonement, his death, burial, and resurrection, is the article of God's love that is manifest to us that when we step forward into this truth and say this truth, not all doctrine, your view of eschatology or your view of baptism, whatever else you have views about, this view, Jesus Christ come in the flesh, this truth, that Jesus is the Son of God, made manifest in a human form, that he could die and expiate our sins on the cross. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
Verse 19 of that same chapter, we love because he first loved us. So when John, this is John, the next book of John, he goes, hey, the truth and love. This truth and this love. He's not just grabbing doctrines out of the sky. He's not just saying, don't let this guy into your house just because he disagrees with all souls Christian church's doctrine about fill in the blank. We don't get to. This is about love. This is where God has faced us and looked upon us and sent his son to us while we were yet sinners. We have the example of our love in Christ and his love. It is central. And if you do not bring this doctrine, don't acknowledge Christ come in the flesh. If you don't live in this doctrine, it talks about abiding in it. Is this the ground of your being? You're, you're, you're Christian folks and known you for years and confident in your salvation and Things for you to examine, though, is that have you allowed love for the saints, love for others, to become your abiding, and Jesus Christ's incarnation, Jesus Christ's atonement, being your abiding center. This is where I, this is where I, the kind of home I make. We're all Christians. This is the kind of home we ought to make. We're Manisha will drag me across the street to give advice on chandeliers every so often as they redo things because she's talked to Anne and I have to undo all that and I'm not winning I think Anne's winning they're going for a what do they what do they say it was a modern a modern twist on classic yeah you know, Forgetting Evans' advice, in other words. We have different kind of homes we like to live in. You know, I like the kind of the crusty old, the accretion of dead empires. That's what I want in my house. Other people want that nice Bauhaus moment of clarity of line and honesty in materials and uncomfortable chairs. But we're Christians. All of us want to abide in the love that is in Jesus Christ. That's where we need to live. That's where we need to feel the most comfortable in our spiritual walk. We need to find this as the thing, the doctrine, that we wish to live in. If he does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, he does not have God. This is a real on-off switch for John. Though I have much to write you, I'd rather not use paper and ink. But I hope to come to see you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. That makes it sound to some people like he's talking from church to church. You know, the elect sister, the elect lady, etc. But more important, this idea of face to face what did Christ accomplish in the incarnation? Sympathize with our weakness? A, a high priest that knows what we go through? Able to be tempted? He, he came and faced us. He looked upon us. He, I mean, he's God. He could have just looked somewhere else and we could have ceased to be. 
Our, our faces are turned one to another in Christ in that love. This is what we should be experiencing, so our joy may be complete. Now, I, I could have, you know, you could have gone home early. I could have stopped right there. And, oh, I did a whole book. But there's that third book just hanging out there asking for something. And I hadn't been in either for many years. And it, and it started to flip some of this so that we don't slip into other error. We know that this is central, love is central to the incarnation, who Jesus Christ is. Now, what is your temptation? <coughs> uh, I don't want to know your other temptations. Temptations about this. What do you see? What are the dangers hanging out in Second John going, yeah, I shouldn't. I've, I've talked to various people. Do, do you ever invite a Mormon in when I come to your door? <clears throat> okay, I don't take it literally. I've invited a Mormon in so I could sit him down and not share in his wicked work. The whole thing was to declare something far, far more holy than what he was declaring. Same with the Jehovah's Witnesses. But I know people who apply the passage directly. Don't welcome them. Don't let them in. Do not receive them into the house or give him any greeting. But also, one of the dangers that Christian churches, especially strong Churches that have strong doctoral, a strong doctrinal claim and a strong unity amongst themselves and then this encouragement to not receive someone lest you share in their wicked work. I've seen people start to define heresy so tightly. So tightly. Where someone was a heretic if not, they could agree with you entirely but if they believed that someone who held a different view could be saved, not only was that person not, they were not a Christian. If they believed, if I believed a Baptist could be saved, I would, even if I agreed with you entirely, it would be completely unacceptable. People get really, really, really tight. And they have a verse for rejecting people. If they don't bring this doctrine, you don't let them in. And you've, you know, maybe you've been to churches like that. Maybe you've got those tendencies. So 3 John, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in health. I know that it is well with your soul. For I greatly rejoiced when some of the brethren arrived and testified to the truth of your life, as indeed you follow the truth. No greater joy can I have than this, to hear that my children follow the truth. Look back at verse 4 of 2 John. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children following the truth. We know that this is what's in the mind of John. This truth that we proclaim, that we stand in. Jesus Christ, come in the flesh, died on the cross, raised on the third day, ascended to be with God the Father. No greater joy. So you live in it. It activates your love for one another. You live in it. You are very defensive about it, about letting people in who deny it. Considering them Christians, considering them brothers. I'm not saying don't love these people or don't be nice to them or even show 
uh, like you would show a Christian hospitality to a non-believer. I think a Christian hospitality to a non-believing Mormon, as long as that's clear and you're not pretending that they're a, that they're a Christian. We know that this is, is central to the way we are, that we're, we're trying to live in this. We're taking our great, no greater joy can I have than that people are living in this, this way. The truth of Jesus Christ, the love of the brethren. Is that what makes you satisfied the most? Now, as you probably know, I have doctrines that you don't like. They're true, nonetheless. I don't talk about them much here. Um, wouldn't it be cool if you all agreed with me? I'd feel good, because I'd get to feel more right. Um, but that, but that's, a, that's a dangerous place to be, because all pastors have that, that kind of Jones on them. They want to have everyone agree with them. And they start to confuse the truth that we have been given with the pastor's opinion. We need to guard what is the truth that is central. Why is it central? And what is the effect it creates in you? Beloved, it is a loyal thing you do when you render any service to the brethren, especially to strangers. Now, the uh, reason I wanted to pick this up is because he had just in the previous book, he had said, there are deceivers out there in the world, the Antichrist, who are denying Christ and he come in the flesh and don't even let them in the house. And then he's talking about, you know, rendering service to strangers who are coming through town under the Christian banner, who have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey as befits God's service. He's talking about the exact opposite act. The exact opposite act. Don't welcome these guys. It's so great that you're welcoming those guys. So we've got to be in some place, not where we, we kind of become an unwelcome, where we take Second John and say, we're going to live by this and not welcome people. Nor could we say, I'm going to live by Third John and I'm going to welcome people. Since I have to do both. Welcome the believers and not welcome the false believers. For they have set out for his sake and have accepted nothing from the heathen. So we ought to support such men that we may be fellow workers in the truth. Notice how it's almost verbatim, he who greets him shares in his wicked work. And if we help a missionary coming through town, a fellow Christian that we don't even know from Adam, we may be fellow workers in the truth. You share in that effort. So, it gets, he goes on with this in verse 9. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who, nobody's going to name their kid Diotrephes. It, it sound, I remember when I first realized I worked out the phonetic Diotrephes. That's a great sounding, then I read the passage. Not a, a great sounding name, not a great sounding person. It's like no one names their kid Judas, Adolf. Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge my authority. 
So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, prating against me with evil words. Not content with that, he refuses himself to welcome the brethren and also stops those who want to welcome them and puts them out of the church. This guy has got, he went to town on the, okay, we're drawing a line here, we're not welcoming people who are not, you know, in the truth. And Christianity is exclusive. But it's not exclusively you. And Diotrephes thought it was exclusively Diotrephes. Who likes to put himself first. The church is just a home for people who want to extend their will. Or it's the home for us who want to extend the will of Christ. And the will of Christ is that we love one another. The will of Christ is that we have learned love from Christ being God. Because if I follow this other, if I follow this other, I will either become someone who is unwelcoming like Diotrephes, or I'm led astray by the deceiver and the Antichrist by saying, yes, I'm sure you wear funny hats and we don't agree with anything you say, but welcome to our Christian community. Because traditionally you are called Christians. Traditionally is not good enough. If they deny, if they deny, now there's other things they can also possibly deny that are not just the incarnation of Christ, the deity of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. He wants to put people out who do the right thing out of the church. This guy is pretty narrow. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. He who does good is of God. He who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. I testify him too, testify to him too, and you know my testimony is true. What I want you to look at is Diotrephes had the exclusion problem. Probably Demetrius is the guy carrying the letter, and he's bearing him witness that you ought to welcome him. He says, I'm going to deal with Diotrephes when I get there. You can't have this kind. This is not love. This is not the truth that matters. It's Diotrephes' truth. Demetrius is on, is on board. So, you have to say to yourself, what am I looking for? Because we're 2,000 years down the pike. 2,000 years and a lot can change. And, and we do things just out of Christian habit that are nowhere in the Bible. Just out of traditional habit. So what I wrote down for you is a few verses on the side here. It matters how we see brothers being defined. John the whole book of 1 John is that I've written these things to you, my brethren. What does it say in chapter 5? Uh, get the quote right. I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He's written the book for that purpose. And you go through 1 John, he keeps saying, okay, this, by this you may be known. This, this be, you may be sure because of this. The key thing is righteousness. Its element is, is not loving the world. That's in chapter 2. Staying with the real believers. Are you drawn? Is this person drawn to the community? Not, does not leave the community of people who are drawn in love to one another. Does righteousness, and not pharisaically, does righteousness because they're doing love. 
And all those little verses I have met, written up there, John 2, 15, 19, 29, 3, 10, 4, 2, and 3, 6, 5, 2 through 5, and verse 12, all of those are saying things like, you'll know, you'll know that those who are true in error by those, he says, who listen to them. If they confess Christ in the flesh, if they reverence the apostolic teaching, if they listen to the apostles as, if they listen to us. Diatrophes wants to put himself first and does not listen to the apostle. Right? Does not acknowledge my authority. He's got his own authority. Are the people that these are being taught by have whatever their, their good motives or they seem like they're nice, but they're all about what they're coming up with, not what St. Paul, St. Peter, James, etc. have taught us. The apostolic authority. And they have the Son. If you do not have the Son, you do not have the Father. So, what, what, what's the, the takeaway? It's natural for us to make a judgment on a church based on things like that. People will visit a church and they'll go, I don't think they were very welcoming. Ever do that? No one said hi to me. I went for two years and no one ever said hi to me. If, if that's happening to you, hi. Fix that. Probably more of our concern is not the judgment that we could, it might be true that a church is not welcoming, a church is not thinking of others as they should, they're not thinking of love. So you, stop, you have to stop and go, hold it, they might be obedient. They're having a hard time welcoming me because I'm not coming to them in love. I'm not coming to them with Jesus Christ on my lips, in my heart, all about it. I'm coming as a cipher that just sits in the, you know, furthest corner of the left-hand side of the church and, and won't talk to anybody. Where's the love of Christ? Where is the doctrine of God in that person? Is this a judgment of your testimony? When he says of Demetrius, everyone says high things of Demetrius. Demetrius has a testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. That his, his holding to the truth of Jesus Christ has made love in him. And everybody else goes, yeah, that's what happens. Just like it said back in verse 1 of 2 John, whom I love in the truth, but not only I also, but also all who know the truth. They, this is a shared testimony about Demetrius. Is that your testimony? It's hard enough for some Christians to sit down and think out what their salvation message would be or how they spoke of their own conversion. How do people know you? Not only how do people, the saints, know you, how does the truth know you, and then how does someone like John, I testify to him too, and you know my testimony is true. He throws that in there and says, I am an important Christian. I knew Jesus Christ. Thank you very much, but Jesus liked me best. I mean, that's the one guy on earth who could say that. And he was not lying. He was the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is the guy. And he says, I'm saying good things about Demetrius. And I know what I'm saying is true. Now, ask yourself, so John's long dead, gone to be with the Lord. 
Would solid Christians you know, like the Apostle John, say that of you? Are you abiding in love? Are you in the truth of Jesus Christ come in the flesh? Are you the kind of person that the church naturally wants to accept? You meet somebody who's a dear believer. We've had people visit here uh, that have been dear believers, obviously. They didn't choose the church. That's fine. Because other good believing churches in town. But you want them here because they're obviously about Jesus Christ. They're obviously about the love of the brethren. I had much to write to you, and I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon. and We will talk together face-to-face again at face-to-face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends. I don't know if this is where the Quakers got the concept of being a friend's church. Probably. It's just the word phylos, philia. Greet the friends. Think of yourself that way. You know? I mean, if we weren't Christians, I probably wouldn't hang out with most of you. you. Um, But why wouldn't I? Well, we weren't be interested in the same thing. You know, Triumph motorcycles, you know, whatever else. Smoking. But we are friends because we are interested in the same thing. To the degree we all abide in Christ, to the degree we abide in love, we are friends. Friends, Lewis describes it as people who have realized that the person they're with shares the same apprehension of the thing they're both looking at. They're interested in the same thing. Lovers are interested in each other. Friends are co-interested in the other thing. And that's the nature of a relationship. The friends greet you. Greet the friends. Be that to each other. Because there's no greater joy. That memorable verse I have at the bottom, no greater joy can I have than this, to hear that my children follow the truth. It's not just you staying in Christianity. It's you thinking of our Lord loving us and then us loving. Let's thank him. Dear Lord, we're grateful that you loved us and sent your son. Be an example to us of what it is to give ourselves to people who do not deserve it. We'd ask that we would learn to face and care for the world around us, especially the brethren, Lord, that this company of saints would be drawn together in your Son. And in his name we pray. Amen.